So we're in a series at the moment on the book of Acts. Uh, we've been in this series for a number of months, and we're going to be in this book for a few months still. And um, really, the book of Acts can be summarized by Jesus' words in the first chapter of the book of Acts, where he, where he says in verse 8, um, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is kind of laid out in that way where um, the first seven chapters of the book of Acts focuses on the city of Jerusalem and the, the birth and the growth of the church there and how it, the Holy Spirit came down and, and this kind of community, gospel-centered community formed in that. At the end of chapter 7, there's this turning point that happens, though, and Stephen uh, gets martyred, and persecution arises, people flee, and are kind of spread in different directions. And for chapters 8, 9, and 10, the, the focus of those chapters is on Samaria and on Judea. And we see that the gospel starts to bleed out of the city of Jerusalem into surrounding areas. And you can see... On, I've, got a, I've got a map. Do we have a map? Ah, we've got a map. So you can see on, on the map that um, we've got um, Jerusalem, and then just north of Jerusalem, Samaria, south of Jerusalem, Judea. And, um, and that's kind of the extent of up, to, um, up to chapter 11, or up to the end of chapter, chapter 10. Um, we see, like we saw last week when Josh preached, that um, the gospel is not going out to the Gentiles. And where this gospel was, um, a, it was a Jewish thing. This gospel was like a, a, some kind of, initially maybe seen as, as a variation on Judaism. In chapters um, 8, 9, and 10, we start seeing something fresh and new. We start seeing that this is a gospel for everyone. This is a gospel for the whole the whole earth. And that gets us to chapter 11, where the beginning of, of this chapter, uh, Peter goes back to Jerusalem. He needs to kind of answer to, to the elders in Jerusalem for bringing Cornelius to faith. He basically comes and explains to them what happened. And he, and he says, guys, this is, this is a legitimate work of God. This is not something that, that I came up with. It came to me through a vision was attested to by signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit came down upon these people. I mean, what else could you ask for? They were speaking in tongues. They were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this second move of God to the Gentiles is fully legitimized in Peter's eyes. The text that we're dealing with today kind of picks up at chapter 11, and um, at the, in, the, in the middle of chapter 11. And the, today's text is not a flashy text. It's not like some of, the, some of the stories that we've had up till now have been dramatic conversions and murders and um, people speaking in tongues and crazy things happening. Paul, like, experiencing this conversion on the road to Damascus, bright light. Um, there's, there's really nothing like that in today's text. But it's a beautiful text, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, an inspiring, it's an inspiring text. It speaks of 
the birth of a church, and it speaks of the birth of a, of a new gospel-centered community. And where up until this point, there'd been, um, like the, the Ethiopian eunuch, like Cornelius's household, there'd been Gentiles who'd come to faith. This is the first time we see a, a church community form with a significant representation of Gentile believers. And, and this is kind of where, in the book of Acts, the, the, the focus starts to shift from um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the focus starts to shift to the ends of the earth. And, and as you can see on this map, um, the focus is the city of Antioch. Um, just to kind of give you a bit of background on the city of Antioch, um, the city of Antioch was the third biggest city in the Roman Empire. I know this is kind of geeky stuff, um, and, but it's, I, I really find that it's helpful for us to understand the text when we get into this. It, it was a big city, about a half a million people, which was massive in that day. Probably the third biggest city in the world, um, definitely the third biggest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and after Alexandria. Um, was a, a, an incredibly cosmopolitan city. city. So had people from all over the world. Um, Seleucus, the, um, one of the officials, the, uh, he offered equal citizenship to people who would come and live in the city. And so it had a large population of Jews, but it also had a large population of people from the east. People from as far as China lived in the city of Antioch in Syria. And so we see the city just kind of burgeoning, blossoming with, with many different people from many different places. Um, the city had a few different nicknames. It's kind of funny. It seems as though Antioch has like this penchant for nicknames. Um, one of the nicknames was um, All the World in One City, and that, it was because of it being such a multicultural city. You could go to Antioch and have a cultural experience from like all over the known world within that city. It was known as the Queen of the East because it drew so many people from, from distant places in the East. It was also known as Antioch the Beautiful, and it had splendid architecture, it had beautiful walls, it had um, this kind of promenade that went from north to south through the city and, and it had colonnades on either side. Um, it, was, it had a, a big city wall around it. Um, and then the interior walls of the city were arranged in such a way to demarcate the city and to kind of separate the different cultures. So you'd have like different quadrants of the city for different cultures. So that's kind of the background on Antioch. And, and this, is what we, this is where we're heading as we jump into this text. So it says in Acts 11, verse 19 to 30, if you want to follow in your own Bible, I'll have it up on the screen as well. It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. So Luke, who wrote Acts, he points back to that persecution at the end of chapter 7, and he kind of closes the gap for us there. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one, well, no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, 
and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, every one according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So what we have here, it's kind of a, it's a longish text. It's kind of three main movements in the text. The first part of it is how, how the gospel came to, to Antioch. Uh, the second part of it is Barnabas getting there and helping to get something established and, and a little bit more organized. And then the third part of it is them being so organized as a church that they're able to now start looking out for the welfare of the Jerusalem church as the Jerusalem church falls in, on, on hard times. It's a snapshot of the church, and it doesn't give us detail about the church in Antioch. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us anything about um, how big the church was. It doesn't tell us where they gathered, whether they gathered in homes, whether they gathered um, in, a, in a hall. They, it, it doesn't tell us anything about the polity of the church, about the style of worship. There's so much that, that Luke leaves out um, in, in telling the story. He just kind of gives us the broad brushstrokes of this church. And in some ways, he's, he's trying to rise to the surface some things that are perhaps... Um, pertinent to where this falls in the, in the light of the bigger picture, the light of the bigger story. Um, and so when we look at this text today, as we look at it, as we unpack it, um, what, what do we learn about the church in Antioch? And, and what does this tell us about a gospel-centered community? What does it tell us about a community that desires to, to form itself around the Word of God. And there's one main point that I want to draw out. There's one main point that in the light of God's heart for the gospel to go out to all nations, His promise to Abraham to, for him to be a blessing to all nations, that his seed would be a blessing to all nations. In the light of that, and in the light of the trajectory of the book of Acts and where we land in the book of Acts and the change in focus at this time, and this shifting focus from the, the, the Jewish people to all people, I would say that um, the one point that I want to draw out of this text is that uh, a community shaped by the gospel draws the outsider in. A community shaped by the gospel draws the outsider in. I have got a few sub-points. The first thing is that a community shaped by the gospel draws the outsider in across invisible boundaries. I think it's the nature of humanity, um, not by purpose or design, 
but um, because of the corruption that has entered into us, um, to, to form divisions um, amongst ourselves. Um, it's our nature to draw lines where there are no lines, to um, distinguish our identity from others on the basis and the grounds on, of things that are, um, at best, preferences, and at worst, idolatry. Um, what this text shows us is the ability for the gospel to break through those things. Some of the people who fled from, uh, from Jerusalem, uh, fled up to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, those people were, sh were sharing the gospel. They were sharing the gospel with people who were most familiar with them. They were sharing the gospel with, if any of them were sharing the gospel, it says they shared the gospel with no one except Jews. If, the, if any of them were sharing the gospel, they were sharing the gospel with people who were most like them. But there were some, the text says, there were some who, who went beyond themselves, who, who entered into a realm of, of difference. And, and that's challenging, and that's, it's, it's not always easy. Um, the, the church in Antioch would, found its start in that reality, that some people were prepared to, to step out whether they were perhaps slightly more familiar with Greek culture, whether they maybe had a Greek grandfather or whatever the case might be, we don't know. But they made a decision to step out and, and reach out to the Greeks. When, it, when the text says Hellenists, um, some believe that it's speaking about Jews with, um, with a Greek cultural background. Um, Others, there's not a lot of evidence either way for this. Others say, no, they were just they were speaking straight to Greeks. Um, we, we don't really know, but however it looked, the, the, the gospel crossed an invisible boundary at that point. The gospel transcends culture. Um, I, rem I grew up in South Africa. I grew up during apartheid. Uh, some of you may have heard that Winnie Mandela died this week. Um, and that's it's something that's met with mixed feelings um, in South Africa. Um, but it points to the fact that South Africa has a deeply divisive background. Um, when, I was a, when I was a kid, we seldom engaged with anyone outside of our own skin color, except if it was somebody who was working for us. Um, I'd been to a lot of churches growing up, a, a Methodist, Dutch Reformed, Presbyterian, um, charismatic. I'd, I'd been to many, many different churches. Nothing prepared me for the day that I first went to a rural black church. That was like just totally, totally out of, out of the box. Um, people... I mean, we started a little late this morning. We were like 10 minutes late. Um, w there was no real start time. Uh, people just kind of drift in, you know, ca kind of casually float in from, from the community throughout a period of a couple of hours maybe. Um, the pastor was there from earlier in the day, and, and he set up a keyboard, and then, you know, kind of those like 
auto beat things. Like that's, that's the music that he turned on to let people know the church is starting. So it's just like this, it was a reg, like, like this kind of reggae beat. <laughs> and, and he was just like kind of had these speakers blaring out and people started drifting in. And then like when they, when they had a bit of a crowd going and then people spontaneously, it wasn't like somebody stood up and said, okay, we're going to start now. Like somebody just kind of spontaneously broke into song and then everybody else kind of gathered in. Some people still inside, some people outside. And it was like, man, what is happening? Like I wasn't quite sure like when things are going to get going. Has it started? Hasn't it? Um, and then like he's, the, the pastor gets up and he preaches for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, wow, that's just a really short sermon. And then they do like another hour of singing. And then he got up and then he preached for real. And there was like an hour and a half. And then another hour of, of music and singing. And it just kind of went on like the, the, the whole morning. And it, it was utterly different to anything that I'd ever experienced. And the language was different. The protocols were different. The, everything about that was, was different. But not once did I ever feel like I was imposing or, or I was an outsider. The fact that, they, that we were worshipping the same Jesus, the, the fact that we were bound by the same gospel, stirred this deep sense of unity amongst us. And I was surprised. I was, I was surprised by that, that, man, I feel really at home here. I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> I feel really at home. And that's what, was, that's what was happening in the city of Antioch. You had all of these different people in the city who were... The, we don't have evidence to suggest that there was like a formal system of apartheid. But we know that there were quadrants, quadrants demarcated for specific ethnic groups, for specific cultures in the city, whether that was by their preference or, or not. The thing that, that happened, though, when the gospel came in is, like, here comes these unknown evangelists um, from, from verse, tw verse 19 and 20. These unknown evangelists come in, and they bring this gospel, and gradually the gospel starts chipping away at these differences. And it reaches a point where it's starting to create confusion in the city for the people, like, how do I categorize this person? What, what are they? They're, you know, they're this ethnic group, but they don't, they're not conforming to, to everything that's normal for that. How, you know, what's happening here? And it's not quite Jewish, because the Jews are becoming part of this thing as well, but it's also the Hellenists are becoming part of this thing. And so they coined a new phrase. They coined this term Christian. And this is, an, this is a, a term that they as outsiders, called these believers, who up until this point had called themselves brothers, called themselves saints, had, had called themselves believers. And the other outsiders are saying, man, we need to invent a new category for what's going on because this is blowing our minds. And this is awesome. This is, this is a beautiful thing. And this is something that I think us as a church um, can be inspired by, can be encouraged by, 
because it's not um, a, it's not an, a call to um, to enter into a subculture, but it's a call to say, man, how do we embrace this faith and still allow the culture that we're a part of to to inform us um, to to be to, to be an agent for communication into, into outside culture, um, to, to still be real within our culture, not detached from culture, but to be distinct from the prevailing culture. It is possible, because we see it was possible here. Amen. It isn't so much that all cultures, and, and this is important, it's not that all cultures all ages, whether male or female, whether rich or poor, it's not so much that, that all cultures and, and all people are eligible to be close to God. It's more a case of that all cultures and all people are equally ineligible to be close to God. The fact that we are corrupted, the fact that we, um, we have rebelled against God, means that everyone equally needs, needs the gospel. Everyone equally needs Jesus Christ, the toning work, to bring us back to Jesus, to bring us back to God. And, and, and when we remember that, when we remember for ourselves and, and say, man, this is so important that, uh, to, to know that this is something that's changed my life, it makes it so much easier to, to open the doors for others to come in. The gospel draws outsiders in, but unless we, when we're, when we're impacted by the gospel, unless we keep the doors open to others, and then we've lost sight of the gospel. And so keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on him, dependent on him, means that we become more effective in, in drawing outsiders in. John Piper says, faith still feels the wonder of being accepted by God. When, we, when we're full of faith, we're filled with that awe, filled with that wonder. And it, it helps us realize, man, this is an amazing thing that God has accepted me. How much more can I open the door to draw others in who may be outsiders? It was kind of a cool thing that happened on Friday night. Um, there was a women's, women's event on Friday night. Uh, how many of you were at the women's event on Friday night? Just, okay, cool, a good number of you. So, women's event on Friday night, there was a, very, a small thing that the ladies who organized the event, a small thing that they did that I think went, went a long way. And what they did is, when, uh, as people were arriving, you, you got there and you drew a number from a bowl or a hat or whatever, and, and that number told you which table you're sitting at. And so there, was no, there wasn't any kind of like, okay, this table is for all my besties and my BFFs, <laughs> and like, like, if anyone else is new, sorry for you, you know. But what it said is, this, this is a collective. We're all in this together. It's not about myself and the people who I feel most comfortable with, but it's about creating opportunity 
for more people to come in, for more people to find relationship, for more people to be known and to know. And, and I think that was an awesome thing. I think like by the sounds of it, it was really successful. And yes, does it, does it create a bit of awkwardness at times? Of course it does. It, it, but it spreads the awkwardness between everyone <laughs> rather, rather than just one person or a handful of people who don't know a lot of people feeling that awkwardness for themselves. So good going on that, ladies. Um, the second point, my second sub-point of the main point, is that the gospel draws outsiders in. A community shaped by the gospel draws outsiders in, but draws outsiders into divine partnership. It says in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And then later in verse 24, it says again, a great many people were added to the Lord. And that were added is um, in the passive tense, and, and it's, it's saying the Lord added, which is an interesting thing because the Lord added to the Lord. And um, John Stott says of this, when we see the Lord adding to the Lord, so that he is both subject and object, source and goal of evangelism, we have to repent of all self-centered, self-confident concepts of the Christian mission. Salvation is God's initiative. It really is. Salvation is not something that, like, I always get a little uneasy when people say things like, man, I've, Seen, I've saved so many people, or like, you know, that kind of boastfulness that you don't see it often, but it does make it, it does rear its head from time to time. And all of us do that in, like, to some degree, some way or another, where we become boastful in our, um, our righteousness, our goodness. Um, I was trying to, th when I was thinking of this, I was trying to think of inspiring stories, and I thought of lots of, like, stories that would make me, make me look really good. Um, like, oh, yeah, I know, you know, this person, like, I led this person to the Lord, and I led that person to the Lord. And I was like, man, that's, it, it's, it, it's dangerous ground to tread on. Um, yes, we want to be able to be real and be honest and celebrate those things, um, but at the same time, we have, we have to be able to check our hearts in that. Um, th yes, there were people, there were unknown evangelists, there were these unnamed evangelists who came in in the beginning and, and saw the Greeks turn to faith. There was Barnabas who came in, there was, Saul, there was Paul who came in. But, but ultimately, this work belongs to the Lord. Um, in a, in a weird paradoxical twist, though, the reality is that Jesus invites us into this work. Each one of us, as much as the unnamed evangelists were, as much as Barnabas was, as much as Saul was, Paul, sorry, each one of us is invited into this work. Jesus, Jesus in Matthew 28 says, go into all the world and and to make disciples of, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And one of the cool things that this, um, this term, Christian, tells us that is that 
um, the term Christian and disciple is kind of synonymous. I've had some pushback before on Matthew 28 where people have said, no, you know, it was really just, it was Jesus' immediate disciples that he was telling, it was the apostles, you know, to go into all the world. But a disciple is, is someone who is able to, in turn, share that truth with someone else. And, and if, we, if we're Christians, if we adopt that label, really the, the, what, it's, what it's meaning in Antioch terms is they're called the disciples Christians. You are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're someone who follows him, but you're someone who also gets to point others toward him. So he invites us into this partnership, and I love the example that Barnabas um, gives to us in this. Barnabas is so open-handed. Barnabas is sent by the church in, in uh, Jerusalem, and, and they, so they hear, like, oh, there's something going on in Antioch. Barnabas, you go, go, to, go to Antioch and go and see what's going on there. And he gets there, and, and Barnabas could have been, he could have, like, played the kind of the boss card, the authority card, could have pulled in there and, like, oh, this is what you guys are doing wrong, and, like, let me, you know, let me show you. He doesn't do that. What does he see? It says he sees the grace of God, and it made him glad. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is, is what God has done for us on our behalf that we could not have accomplished on our own. And he sees God at work. He doesn't come in there and, and, and see what's lacking. He sees, oh, wow, how far the gospel has come. How, how awesome this, the work that's been started in you guys. This is amazing. And he doesn't say, like, oh, okay, you know, now we're going to form a church and I'm going to be your, your leader and like start fleecing the flock or you know, start abusing the people or anything like that. No, he says, man, who else can I invite into this thing? Who else can I draw in? And, and he goes and calls, calls Paul. He goes up to, to Tarsus, which was about a, a week's journey from there. And, and he heads up to Tarsus, and he calls Paul, and Paul, Paul comes down as well. And I, I just love this. I love the fact that Paul was an outsider at this point. Paul was rejected by most of the disciples. You see earlier in the book of Acts that when Paul came to Jerusalem after getting saved, after his conversion, what did they want to do? They, they didn't trust him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. He was an outsider. Yet Barnabas, Barnabas was the one who said, hey, let me go and introduce you to the apostles. Like, I'll vouch for you on your behalf. He was the one who trusted. He was the one who said, man, this is a great opportunity for Paul to grow in ministry as, as a minister to the Gentiles. He goes and he calls Paul and he brings him down. And what do they do? The two of them teach for, they, they teach the people and see them grow together. And there's this beautiful co-laboring between people because they're co-laboring with the Lord. They acknowledge this isn't our work exclusively. This is the work of the Lord. You might be asking, what about me? Like, I'm, I'm not an apostle either. I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. 
What if I don't feel like I'm necessarily in the inner circle? Well, let me just say that if you have turned to the Lord, you are in the inner circle. Amen. The inner circle is Jesus. And you don't have to have a job at the church. You don't have to be in a high-profile ministry position to be in partnership with God. Because it's not just about you. It's about us partnering together with God. Eugene Peterson says, whatever job we get, whatever task we are assigned, can serve as a container for grace. This grace that, that Barnabas saw in the church in Antioch uh, becomes visible to the people that you work with, the people that you're at school with, uh, becomes visible to your family. The grace of God um, brings, brings something alive in us. Um, it's kind of, as I was meditating on this, I was, I was asking myself, what did it look like for them, for the grace of God to be made visible? We know from Titus that grace teaches us and instructs us and causes us to change, but I don't think it was just good works. There was, it points to a gladness, like Barnabas saw the grace and, and it made him glad. I think there's, there should be a joy in us, there should be a joy apparent in, in believers. And, um, and that joy, whether, whether in persecution or not, that joy is evident. It's, it's more than just a happiness. There's a deep-seated joy. So how do I find my place in this kind of community? Barnabas, again, provides a really great example to us. The text says that he was a good man, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was filled with faith. If you do not know Jesus, um, if you question whether you have a relationship with him, this, this is the inner circle. This is what it means to step in from outside and step inside. In Hebrews it says, Let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And so faith allows us to access the grace of God. Faith, faith allows us to, to be set free from the tyranny of sin. Um, even if you're a mature believer, I want to point back to that John Piper quote, that faith still feels the wonder of being accepted by God. This is faith is key to, to us walking in the fullness of what God has for us. Barnabas was a good man who was filled with faith. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The, the Holy Spirit um, brings the nearness of God in, a, in a, a true and a real way to each one of us. Um, without the Holy Spirit, we, we're disempowered. Without the Holy Spirit, we do not know God. Um, I want to I bring to, to mind again Jesus' words, Jesus' Jesus' admonishment to, to his disciples not to go out until they have the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Holy Spirit when comes down, you'll be my witnesses. And, 
And we've, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is upon us, is in us. We receive the Holy Spirit as a gift when we, when we come to faith. I want to encourage you not to leave this morning without inviting the Holy Spirit to bring a fresh new conviction of his, roleness, his role in your, in your life and his nearness to you. you ha- if you're a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You are in the inner circle. You are part of the body. You are an instrument in God's hands. You are a demonstration and a display of God's grace. You, you are close to God. And so I want to I exhort you with Barnabas' exhortation. Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. What does that mean? It means a daily walk with God. It means a walk that um, is not dependent on, on time of day, or time of week. It's not, it doesn't waver according to whether you're here or whether it's Sunday or whether it's Monday. It's a steadfast purpose. It's a knowing that God has infused every area of your life with his grace and his love and his power.